1: And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. We're up here in Cave Creek, Arizona. And if you're interested in knowing more about this program or our congregation here, please go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. You can uh, explore that website, find out more about the congregation and uh, how we study the Bible, which is simply we read and study the Bible. There's no other creeds, there's no other books that we look to that is our creed and you know, that is our book the bible and we simply want to be christians if you already have some kind of preconceived idea about the church of christ please put that out of your mind we are we are not part of any larger conglomerate we are autonomous meaning we are just ourselves the north valley church of christ we have our elders at uh, are, are our leaders in the congregation, and we all fall under the banner of Christ here. We want to please Him. We want to be simply Christians. And if you want to be simply a Christian and not, not anything more, not anything less, come find out about uh, what we do here at North Valley and how we simply follow the Bible and nothing more. <clears throat> now today we're going to continue a series we started a while back about Speaking words that heal and not hurt. And the Bible tells us that words have the power of life and death. And it's God's desire is for all of us to learn how to control our tongues so that our words that we speak bring life. So far, we've talked about lying, we've talked about uh, malignant talk of gossip and slander, ego talk of boasting, flattery, and exaggeration. And today, we're going to talk about corrosive talk. has to do with speaking words of complaining and criticizing. Eh? I like to start with stories, and I like this one, about a man who decided to join a monastery. And one of the rules of this particular monastery was... That you were only allowed to speak two words at the end of every 10 years. At the end of his first 10 years, he said, Food bad. So those were his two words. Then at the end of his second 10 years, so 20 years there, at the end of the second 10 years, he said, Bed hard. And then finally, on his 30th anniversary at the monastery, he said, I quit. And the monk in charge responded, It doesn't surprise me a bit. You've done nothing but complain ever since you got here. (laughs) I'm just wondering if that's an apt description of any of us. That we've done nothing but complain ever since we got here. When it comes to many of us, I think we are careful to tell the truth not to gossip or slander, not to swear or use God's name in vain, but how much attention do we pay to the corrosive words coming out of our mouth, the complaining and the criticizing, and it easily flows from our mouths. Now, I've chosen to call complaining and criticizing corrosive words because I think we all understand the way acid works. Different kinds of acids work in different ways, but they all basically have a way of burning or eating through whatever they touch. That's what corrosive words do. Whatever they touch, uh, corrosive words destroy our spiritual life, and they destroy our relationships. If any of us want a formula to destroy our relationship with God, And with others, or a formula to destroy our life in general, here it is. Give yourself over to complaining and criticizing, and that will do it. All we have to do, give ourselves to complaining about everything, and I mean everything. And and what do we complain about? Do do you ever complain about the weather? And I have. What about the government? A lot lately. How about the election or the economy? Do you complain about your job? your boss? What about your co-workers, your income? Do you complain about your physical features? Whether you have too much or too little here or there? What about your hair, your cheekbones, your love handles? Alright, we could go on to complain about your family, your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your kids, this, that, everything. Isn't it amazing how many things we can find to complain about? I just started off the top of my head there. Imagine how that kind of complaining is going to bless whoever's life or relationship with God that you're talking to. Not a pretty picture. And if that's not enough, let's add to complaining the constant stream of criticizing. In what ways do we criticize? I want to say a few, but and you're going to think that these are no big deal, but wait for it. So how about this one? Have you ever told someone, stop chewing your gum that way? Don't leave your hair in the sink. Clean up after yourself. Don't slam the door when you go outside. Quit leaving me with an empty gas tank. Stop forgetting your homework at school. Don't you have a brain? Sit up straighter. Stop talking and listen. Do you think I'm just talking to hear myself talk? Blah, 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 blah. Again, not a pretty picture, especially when it's a constant stream. How often do we say that to our children? Non-stop. And if we do, if that's all we ever do is tell them how they're doing everything wrong and how they, they need to stop doing this and stop doing that, and that's all we ever say, your kids are just going to grow up thinking they can't do anything right. I think we would all admit that we have done our fair share of complaining and criticizing. And this kind of corrosive speech has a variety of roots. It can come from our anger that builds up inside of us and and needs an outlet. It can come from our irritation that can be produced by many things going on around us. Maybe it comes from our disappointment when things don't go as expected or people don't treat us as we hoped. It can come from impatience with others and with ourselves. It can come from general stress that can come uh, as a combination of, I don't know, a number of things that you know, we already mentioned. But it can even come from our own guilt and our own insecurity as we are disappointed with our own behavior or, or our choices. Maybe we question our ability to make something good of our lives. Again, there are many reasons and roots to explain why we might be prone to corrosive talk. So, what does the Bible say about complaining and criticizing. Well, it's clear that that kind of talk is not to be coming from the mouths of God's people. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. The idea of being overly critical or to be one who criticizes is expressed in the biblical ideas of strife, discord, and nagging. Now, in Proverbs chapter 21, Solomon, uh, his focus on, there on the quarrelsome person is that of a wife in that chapter. Uh, but we all know that the quarrelsome one can just as easily be a husband. In Proverbs 21.9, it says, It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman, or nagging woman. That's what that means. Verse 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Or man, a constant dripping. This is the Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. Paul tells us that the elder must not uh, be addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. That pugnacious is a uh, nagging. There in First Timothy three three. Solomon also says in Proverbs 26, Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. And I like this one in Proverbs 22, Drive out the scoffer, and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. Bing! Yep, that's good. Now, nowhere in Scripture is complaining and criticizing more graphically depicted than in the case of the children of Israel, right? In the end, those Jewish adults who came out of Egypt were denied entrance into the promised land because of their complaining and criticizing, which was evidence of faithlessness. We could look at, a new, at numerous examples of their complaining and criticizing, but for our purpose today, I want us to look Simply at Numbers chapters 13 and 14. You might remember uh, when uh, the people of Israel, they were, they were about ready, to, they were there on the edge of the promised land, and they sent out those 12 spies. Ten were bad and two were good, if you know the song. And ten, so, 10 of those 12 spies, here's what they said The land through which we have gone, in spying it out, is a land that devours its, its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim. That's the son of Anak, our uh, part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Well, that sounds dire, right? It sounds like we might as well just give up. Now Joshua and Caleb, they were the other two spies. They affirmed the details of the account, maintained that though that God was able to give the, his people the promised land. And the whole story of 13 and 14, their numbers are a perfect example of, destructive, of the destructiveness of complaining and criticizing. Notice what complaining and criticizing leads to. First, complaining and criticizing ignores God's potential. The report of the ten spies was given from a godless perspective. Surely, if God had... Brought them through the plagues of Egypt, and had opened the sea to save them, and had provided water from the rock when they were thirsty. Surely God could deal with the giants in the land, right? Right. Yet we ignore God's potential because we forget what He's already done. And we forget that He keeps His promises. What's that song we like we, we sing? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Why? So you don't forget. So you don't forget. That's also why we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. So we don't forget. Do this in remembrance of me. Number two, complaining and criticizing leads to wrong conclusions and bad judgments. The grumbling Israelites said, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Their conclusions about God's intentions couldn't have been further from the truth, But when our godless grumblings get rolling, wrong conclusions, wrong judgments are easy to accept. We see that happening in today's age. Number three, complaining and criticizing leads to self-pity. Here's what the Israelites said in numbers 14:2. "Well, what that we had died, or would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness?" Those given to this complaining and criticizing often feel very sorry for themselves, and they nurse those feelings of self-pity and mistreatment. Number four, these things lead to fear. Twice in the story, Joshua and Caleb exhorted the people not to fear. When we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, like the Israelites did, we realize that the odds may be against us, and the situation may be beyond our control, and... COVID-19. If we forget about our God, though, then we feel threatened. We might feel insecure. And the more we complain and the more we criticize, the more afraid we'll become. Number five, complaining and criticizing breeds rebellion. Joshua and Caleb urged these murmuring Israelites not to rebel against the Lord. The Israelites were ready to elect new leaders and a stone those who opposed their plans. Unbelievable. And then finally, complaining and criticizing results in God's judgment. His judgment on the Israelites was swift and final. Their complaining and their criticizing defamed God's presence, power, and his glory, and so God had to punish his people when they had behaved that way. So not only did those Israelites experience God's judgment, they also missed out on his blessings. Not one of those would get to enter the promised land. The example of the Israelites is one that we want to learn from and to avoid. So how can we keep our hearts from developing a complaining and critical spirit so that our tongues will not spew out those corrosive words? Well, I want to offer you several practical suggestions. Number one, I would suggest that we need to be realistic. It's kind of like the, the uh, old man who, who went to the doctor, and he goes in there and he says, Doctor, my knee hurts so bad I can hardly walk. So the doctor checked him out, and he uh, eyed him from head to toe, and he said, Sir, how old are you? And he said, Well, I'm 98, the man announced proudly. So the doctor sighed and said, Well, you're almost 100 years old, and you're complaining about your knee hurting. What do you want? What do you expect? The old man said, Well, my other knee is 98 years old, too, and it doesn't hurt. <laughs> we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people. Then we need to, uh, and then we expect, uh, we need to expect that things uh, and people may not be the way we like them to be, right? Realistically speaking, there are always going to be opportunities to complain and to criticize. Satan, our enemy, will make sure we have plenty of things to find fault with. So, we need to make sure our expectations are in line with what is realistic. What I'm trying to say is this. Often, we must lower our expectations. Sometimes, we set ourselves up for complaining and criticizing because our expectations are too high. If we expect that we are always going to get what we want, when we want it, then we have set ourselves up for serious disappointment. If we expect that people are always going to do the right thing and do what is best for us, then we are in for a rude awakening. If we expect that life is going to be easy and without challenges and difficulties, then we are going to really struggle when it doesn't go that way. And that struggle will be intensified by our unrealistic expectations. The truth of the matter is that life is often unfair and difficult, and that many of us either have been or will be dealt a, a difficult hand, so to speak. In the real world we live in, some people we trusted do us wrong, some spouses. Don't keep vows. Life-threatening diseases strike. Loved ones die unexpectedly. When things like these happen, we may feel that we have every reason to complain and criticize, but we must not. As difficult as it may be, we need to bite our tongue and allow God to calm our spirit. We know how bad things got for Jesus, right? Yet he controlled his tongue. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53 verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. The ability to control our tongues in those circumstances begins by being realistic in our expectations. That's number one. Number two, I would suggest that we need to be grateful. The main cause of complaining and criticizing is a focusing on the negative. Instead of thanking God for what we do have, we complain about what we don't have. Instead of focusing on how far we've come in life and and all that God has done for us, we focus on on how far we still have to go. Although we may not be where we want to be right now, we can thank God that we aren't where we once were. Although we might not have the best job in the world right now, we can thank God that we are employed. Or that even if we've lost our job right now, we live in a country with opportunities. Just as we always find something to complain about or be critical of, so can we always find something for which to be grateful. Rather than complaining about Having to fix a car. Be thankful that you have a car to, to fix. And how, how often the car has gotten us to where you know, we need to go. Be thankful for that. First Thessalonians 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks. Everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's my purpose? Thank God for everything you have. There's one. We need to realize That the thanklessness that comes out in complaining and criticizing is not ultimately a response to circumstances, but an accusation against God. We may think we are just complaining and criticizing our situation or the people around us, but in reality we're judging God, who has allowed us to be right where we are. Ultimately, a heart of gratitude and thankfulness isn't dependent on our bank statement, or our doctor's diagnosis, or the praise we receive for a job well done. Rather, a heart of gratitude and thankfulness comes from a heart that loves God and recognizes all of the blessings that he has given us. Spiritual amnesia, the forgetting of God's presence and deliverance and provision, is a deadly disease that leads to corrosive speech. But the antidote for this deadly disease is to remember to learn to count our blessings and be grateful. Count them one by one. Number three, I would suggest that we need to be forward-looking. look And What I mean by this is uh, rather than speaking words of you know complaining or criticizing, we need to speak with positive expectations. Although things are not the way we would like them to be, we trust that God can change that in the future, or God will enable us to endure the situation. So as we bring our concerns and, and even our complaints directly to God, we do so with expressing our belief that God knows and cares and will do what is best for us. Although someone might not have done what they should have done, rather than tearing them down and with criticism, we can build them up by explaining how they need to do better or, or by expressing that we believe they can do better. That's looking forward with positive expectations. It's a push-pull mentality. Finally, I would suggest that we need to be different. The easiest thing in the world is to complain and criticize. Everyone knows that, but God calls us to be different. He wants us to do everything without complaining and arguing, why so that we will stand out from others. When we don't complain and criticize like others, people take notice, right? Don't they? That there is something different about us, but not complaining and criticizing or by not complaining and criticizing, we we can be like a light shining in the universe. So let's make it our goal to be different by not complaining and being so critical with our words. Let's start each day with a goal of going the whole day without complaining and criticizing. you think you can do that? I think you could. I know it. We can do that. Just stay, wake up in the morning and, and make that your first prayer about, I am not going to complain about anything or criticize, Lord. Be with me. You know, my I love listening to my kids pray. When they pray, I have to like, sometimes egg them on to finish it up because they will thank the Lord for everything, their fork, their knife, their brother's fork, their brother's knife, uh, the hummingbirds, the hummingbird stand, the chair, my chair, all every little thing until I finally say, okay, let's wrap it up. But what what a beautiful thing a child does. There was an English preacher. Uh, this was back in the seventeen hundreds. He was considered a spiffy dresser, a dresser, a dresser. And one Sunday morning, he wore a bow tie. It had long ribbons that hung down; were pretty long. And after the sermon was over, this lady, old lady, walked up to him and said, "Brother, are you open to some criticism?" He said, well, I guess so. What would you like to criticize? And she said, the ribbons on your tie are entirely too long and inappropriate for a man of God. So the woman took out her scissors and cut off the ribbons of his bow tie. (laughs) A hush fell over the people standing there. The preacher calmly asked, May I borrow the scissors for a moment? And she handed them to him, and he said, Ma'am, are you open to some criticism? She said, Well, I suppose I am. The preacher said, All right, then, please stick out your tongue. Right? Right. Now, I'm not suggesting that we cut out our tongues. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount that, you know, if you're your eye causes you to stumble. Pluck it out, and throw it from you. It's better to enter the kingdom of heaven without your eyes and uh, the burn in hell. Or if you're this, that, or whatever, you know, cut it off. But that, I, I think that's a sarcasm because if you your eyes cause you lusts and you gouge them out, are, is it going to still cause you to not lust? Or if you steal with your hands, cutting off your hands going to make you stop stealing? No. The only thing that's going to change that is your heart. It's your heart. In other words, you need to think first. As I've said in almost all the messages on the tongue, think. That that acronym, think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Talk less. The more we talk, the more likely we are to say something we shouldn't. So one of the important ways to control our tongue is simply to use it less. Start your day off with being thankful to the Lord in prayer. Be thankful to the Lord at, at lunchtime for, in prayer and at evening time. Always be thankful. Say thankful prayers to the Lord, and that will help us to go a long way. And think. Think. We, we're not doing much thinking in our society today. You know, it starts with you and me, so let's start there. I hope you... Uh, uh, got a lot from this lesson. I hope you, it challenges you to do better and that maybe tomorrow to complain less and criticize less. We all need to do that, right? Thank you for being here and may God bless you in your efforts to be more like Christ. Sin
0: and doubt to sweep away till show done the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out.